Our scripture passage today comes from the gospel according to Matthew. It's chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and this is the story detailing the temptation of Christ. Now, before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, Lord, by whose spirit we are led, and by whose spirit it dwells in our hearts, and it teaches us and guides us and instructs us, Lord, in life and wisdom and goodness and in purity. Father, we come today to your holy word, inspired by the same spirit whose guidance we seek today. Father, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds by the same spirit that inspired these words, inspire us again, that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, it's not our weakest moments that we ever consider to be our best. Some of the moments where, where we're the weakest, the moments where we're the most vulnerable. When we look back in our life, we never look and say, well, that was, those are my good moments. I did some real good stuff then. That's when I really shined. I'm talking about the moments where, where we're hungry, where we're tired, where we're sad or depressed or frustrated or anxious and fearful and we're just feeling just everything coming down upon us at once. Those are usually not our best moments. In fact, those are the worst moments of our life. Usually if we look back and, and, and consider those moments where we are weak and vulnerable and afraid or just sometimes just plain hungry, we don't ever look and, 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 and see that we've done something great then. Those are the moments that we usually let, get led into something that we regret. We say something we wish we could unsay. We do something we wish we could undo. 
Sometimes they're the absolute worst moments of our life that we wish we could just hit a rewind button and just record over that part of our life completely. I mean, let's be honest. Those moments where we're weakest and we're vulnerable and we do those things or say those things we wish, it, wish we couldn't and never had said, those are the moments that grace was invented for. Those are the moments that forgiveness was invented for. But this is how amazing our God is. This is how amazing our God truly is. He can take those moments, those moments where you're depressed and anxious and fearful. Those moments where you feel like you're at your very lowest. Our God can take those moments and turn them into our greatest triumph. With faith in God, with faith and trust and reliance and leaning upon Him, God can take our worst moments and turn them into the finest hour that our life has ever experienced. It's what we find in the, in the temptation of Christ. In the story that, that I read to you today, it was, it was the moment when Jesus was weakest. It was the moment when He was the lowest and He was the most vulnerable. And God took that moment. Because Jesus, at that point, wasn't even relying on his strength. He was relying on God's strength. And God was able to take that moment and he turned it into one of Jesus' finest victories. I mean, this is the moment where Jesus conquered Satan. He beat the, the one force or figure that no human being had ever come against face to face and beaten. And Jesus was able to do it. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. He's the son of God. This is Jesus. Of course he can do it. But see, we, we think of him as the Son of God, and we should, as fully God. But when we focus completely on that, we lose some of the power and the impact of the story. That Jesus wasn't, wasn't just fully God, he was also fully human. He was the Son of God, he was also the Son of Man. And he was vulnerable in all the ways that we're vulnerable. He could be tempted in all the ways that we can be tempted. And he was weak in all the ways that we are weak also. And, and the Spirit and God had put him in this situation and made him weak. So at that moment, he was not standing in the power of God. He was standing as the Son of Man. And that's when he was tempted by the devil. He's got to deliberately put him in a place where he was right there acting as the Son of Man. It was when he was the absolute weakest and the weakest he could be. It says in Scripture here that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to think about that for a second. Going 40 days and 40 nights without food. He had eaten nothing for over a month. Now, most of us don't, don't fast very often. Unfortunately, it's not part of our religious practice anymore. Most of the times when you fast, what is it? it's because you had like a medical procedure. And the doctor says, you can't eat anything after midnight. And by 10 a.m., we're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Why is the doctor doing this to me? This is awful. So imagine 40 days and 40 nights without food. Well, at this point, he's not just hungry. At this point, he's weak. His body is, is needing nutrition. He's probably started consuming itself at this point. He's, he's delirious. Right? He's maybe even some, he may be even seeing things. Right, he is the most vulnerable he's ever been. Fatigue has set it in. His strength has drained him. And this is the moment when the devil strikes. Now you never notice 
Let me, or you do notice the devil never comes at us when we're strongest. He never comes and attacks us when we're at our best. He never attacks us when we're so we're just we're high on grace and we're full on the spirit. Maybe we've had like a great worship or, or just a, a wonderful moment with God in the morning with our devotions or, or we spent some time with good friends or we've done something great and charitable and we're just feeling high on the spirit. It never comes after us then. Say what you want to about the devil. He's a great tactician. He knows when to get us and he gets us when we're weak and when we're vulnerable. He gets us when we're lonely. He gets us when we felt rejected. Maybe you just had an awful fight with your, with your wife or your husband. And you feel like your marriage is falling apart. Or you just had a demotion at work. Or maybe you just come in and you, and you see a pile of bills sitting there on the kitchen table that you can't afford to pay. Or you just had bad news from the doctor. Or you just hit this incredible low point in life. That's when he comes after us the most. We're at our absolute weakest, lowest point. That's when it comes to Jesus. Jesus hits him when he's down, when he's weak, when he's had no food for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the first way he attacks him is in the flesh. At this point, Matthew points out something really obvious. It says he, he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. We're like, no kidding, he was hungry. But I think Matthew points it out to let us know that he's not operating in some supernatural power at this moment. He's operating in a human power. He's hungry just like we get hungry. And that's the, when the devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, if you're really the son of God, you can take these stones here and turn them into bread. Let's see if you can do that. Now, when I, when I read this, when I've been reading this my life, I, I, my first reaction always is, so what's bad about that? I mean, he's just telling them, eat some bread. Is that evil? To eat some bread? I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating bread. If eating bread was something wrong, we'd all be in big trouble by now. But the, the temptation here is, is look what, if we read what happens, why Jesus is out there, it says, Spirit. Right there at the very beginning, he was led by the Spirit to be tempted. And it was the Spirit that was telling him to fast. I said, this is what God's design was for him right now. You are going to fast and you are going to go without food. And it was God that instructed him to do this, to face this very moment. And if God is the one that told him it's time to fast, God's the only one that can end it. It's only that same word and that same spirit that can tell Jesus, now it's time for the fast to be over. And the devil is the last person to tell Jesus, all right, let's end this now. But Jesus in a place, he's in a wilderness, he has no food around him, but Jesus, the devil's even able to tempt him in that. You can just take this stone and turn it into bread. You got bread right here. Why don't you just eat it now? So here he is at his weakest point. And what he does is he relies now on his greatest source of strength. That's the word of God. And Jesus turns to Scripture. He quotes the Bible to the devil. It goes from Deuteron goes to Deuteronomy 8:3 and says, "Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." And he's telling them, "It's not bread that's going to sustain me. It's the word of God. The word of God has led me into the wilderness. The word of God has told me to fast and to not eat. And it's the word that's going to sustain me till it's done." 
and not a morsel of bread will touch my lips until my father tells me so. So the devil tries another tactic. He's tried to hit Jesus in his flesh, hit him in his stomach. Now he's going to hit him in his pride. And Jesus is fully human, has taken on that full human pride. So the devil takes him to the temple in Jerusalem. He sets him at the top. And he kind of taunts him at this point. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, you can throw yourself off this temple. And then he quotes scripture to Jesus. This whole word that you say that you're living by, guess what that word says? It says you can throw yourself off this temple and the angels will hold you up. Now again, I wouldn't be tempted to jump off a temple. And I, sometimes we're confused. Why is this a temptation? Well, Jesus knows he can jump off the temple. He's the son of God. I'm not the son of God. I can't go jumping off of temples. But Jesus can, and, and, and the devil's trying to taunt him into proving that he is who he says he is. You said you're the son of God. I don't think you believe it for real. If you really were the son of God, you could just jump off this temple right now, and the angels would uphold you. Do you believe it? Do you? Are you chicken? I bet you are. I bet you really don't believe you're the son of God. Come on, jump, jump, do it. Prove, prove to me who you are. The temptation here is to play the devil's game. Jesus wasn't here to play the devil's game. He was here to bring the kingdom of God to us. And the devil's game is prove to me who you are. That's always the devil's game. See, Jesus doesn't have to prove who he is. Jesus just has to be who he is. God didn't send Jesus to this earth to prove to everybody who he was. He came that just to be who he was, who God made him to be. And there's a great message in there for us all. I wish we could, I wish we could just kind of park right here on this one for a while. Because there was a wonderful message. That you don't have to prove to anybody who you are. And every time we get to that point where we try to prove to other people who we are, that we belong, that we're worthy, that's the devil's game. That's the devil's game, and it's a game of pride. You don't have to prove who you are to anybody. All you have to do is to be the man or the woman that God made you to be. Once again, Jesus relies on Scripture, and he quotes it. To Satan, once again from Deuteronomy, this time 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So finally, Satan gives him one last temptation. He takes him to a high point. He says a point he can show him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I can give this to you. And I will give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, it's been pointed out before, I'm going to point out to you now, Jesus doesn't contradict Satan at this point. He doesn't contradict Satan and say, you know what, you, know, you, you don't have that power. You, you can't give me the kingdoms of this world. You're just lying to me now. Because Jesus knew what Satan knew. He had the power to give him the kingdoms of the world. The kingdoms of the world were under the power of Satan. And so he, he puts him up there and he, in this high place and he's promised him something that he can deliver to give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. But what Satan is really offering Jesus here is a shortcut. Because Jesus, one day, he came to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And he came that one day all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory would be beneath, their, beneath his feet, that he would rule over them all one day. That is part of the destiny of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons he came and the reasons he will turn is to do the very thing that the devil was offering to give him. To rule over all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan saying, you can have it now. See, at this point, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows what his destiny is going to be. A little bit later on, he tells his disciples this. He knows that he's going to die. He knows he's got to go to the road of the cross. And he knows the plan God has for him is his suffering to be betrayed, to be whipped, and to be beaten, and to be nailed to a cross, and to die a slow and painful death. He knows it at this point, that that is the road that God has put him on. The temptation here is the devil's offering to give him all of those goals and ambitions without having to go to the cross. Saying, I can give it to you right now, Jesus. We can do it without the pain. We can do it without having to do all the work of the ministry. I'll give you these kingdoms. Go ahead and make it the kingdom of God if you want. You can do whatever you want to. We'll do it the easy way. Why go through all the pain and the torture and the beating? I'll give it to you right now. There was a catch, of course. The catch being, you have to worship me. See, that's why we should never accept the devil's bargain. The devil's bargain is always offering us the easy way out, the quick way out, the easy way, the painless way to do things. And sin offers us the same way. Sin offers us the easy way, the quick way, the indulgent way, the no work, the no pain. You can have it now for the low, low price of $19.99. All you have to do is worship me. There's always a catch. There's always a catch when sin offers us the easy way out. And the catch is giving up some form of our worship and our trust in God. It's a temptation to do it the devil's way. And it always comes to us when we're weakest, when we're vulnerable, when we're really, 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 oh, we want to take that easy way out. It would be so tempting right now because, honestly, I'm sick and I'm hurt and, and I'm really tired from doing it the hard way. I'm struggling to be good. I'm struggling to be honest. I'm struggling to do it your way, God. But it seems like all I get in return from that is more hardship. I just get more hardship the harder I work to try to be good. And I'm looking around and so many around me are doing it the easy way. And they're just getting exactly everything that they want. Well, Jesus resisted this as he resisted the others. He quoted scripture. Deuteronomy again, this time 6.13. You shall have no other gods before me, and him only shall you serve. Three times Jesus is tempted. Three times he answers Satan with the same response. He quotes him scripture. Three times when he is tempted, and three times he relies on the word of God. When Christ is the weakest and the most vulnerable, he finds strength in that one place. It's the word of God. And that's how he took his weakest moment, turned it into one of his finest hours. In 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul complains 
about a weak moment of his also. And because he's Paul, he's a human, we can kind of rely. He know, we know he's all human, right? But he's also an apostle. And he, and he complained about this thorn, he said, he, this thorn he had in his side. And it was his own temptation. It tells us it was, it was from the devil to torment him. And it never tells us what this thorn is. You know, it, what, what kind of temptation or trouble it was. But he has it, and, and Paul is being tortured by this. He's tormented, and he says he prayed. He prayed three times. He said, Lord, take this thorn away from me. And he prays and prays, and, and finally God answers him. But God doesn't take the thorn away. Instead, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he tells him, this is what I want you to hear. This is what God tells Paul. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's what he says. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul proudly declares that when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm the weakest, that's when I'm strongest. And I know it doesn't make any sense. It's one of those things in our faith that is contradictory, at least apparently, that when we're weak, that's when we're strong. But see, it's when we're weakest, that moment of weakest, when we, we are the weakest, that's when we realize, I can't do it myself. And we know it, and we realize we can't do it ourselves, and we finally step back and we say, God, you're going to have to be my strength. And we finally, we, we get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. And we let the Holy Spirit come and move in our life and be our strength for us. So there's moments that we're at our worst, the moments where we're the most tired and hungry and lonely, the moments where we're depressed and anxious and afraid. These are the moments when God's power can be the strongest in each and every one of us. But like Jesus, you had to fall back on God's word. Like Christ did, you have to trust in the wisdom of God and not trust in our own wisdom. We have to trust in what God has spoken over what we think and over what it looks like to our eyes and our perception and our knowledge and trust in Him. And before you can rely on the Word of God, you've got to know it. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You've got to make it so familiar it becomes a part of who you are. You have to prepare for that moment of trial and temptation and arm yourselves with the Word of God. You have to carry the Word of God around with you like a loaded gun. And you've got it locked and loaded, ready at your side. Every time you see that first sign of temptation or doubt and fear, you just unload with the Word of God. But you have to prepare. You have to be ready now. When your moment of trial and temptation comes, that you will have the word of God ready to rely on his strength and power. I don't know if this week y'all saw the story about the uh, football player, DeMar Hamlin. Did y'all see all that? Did y'all see? He was a football player for the Buffalo, is a football player for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, my family, we were watching the, 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 the game that night. It's kind of a surreal moment. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's a, he was a, a safety for the Buffalo Bills, and he came and made a tackle, and the two players collided like happens every, I mean, a hundred times a game, in every game. But then something unexpected happened this time when DeMar got up. He just collapsed back onto the field, and what they didn't know at the time is his heart had stopped. 
some kind of, we not, maybe not even know what's going on still, but his heart had stopped. They had to resuscitate him twice on the field. Had to do CPR and resuscitate him. Carried him off by ambulance. I so hear he is doing better. But it was kind of this surreal moment, and it was an awful moment for the NFL. And it looked like just an absolute public relations nightmare to see a player collapse in the field like that. But I got to say, I think the NFL has turned this into one of their finest moments. Watching the coaches and the players and the fans all rally together around this young man and his health has been amazing. And watching how they handled it, they did so much right in there that they could have done wrong. They could have tried to get the game going, tried to get those players out on the field, but they finally showed this concern for the players and what it was like for them to go out on the field. And I believe they did the right thing. They stopped the game. They didn't ask the players to go out again, and they've canceled it completely. And so much good has come out of this. Did you all see Dan Orlovsky on NFL Today? It's a show. Dan Orlovsky is a, um, a host for one of these uh, sports talk shows. This is on ESPN, live on ESPN. It's called NFL Today. And Dan Orlovsky stopped the show to pray on live television. Amazing, I've never seen it on ESPN before. Never on any live news program like that. But he stopped and he said, you know what? Everyone's saying they're praying for this young man, they're praying for this young man. He says, I want to pray right now. And they stopped the show and all the hosts bowed their heads. And on live television, they said a prayer for DeMar Hamlin and his family. So what's made this, I think, a great hour for the NFL? Is so many of the coaches and the players, despite whatever faults they may or may not have, they know where to go to for strength. So many of those men and those women in their organization know enough to see when they can't do it alone. And where they need to turn to for their strength in their moments. So I want to ask you today, do you know where to go? Are you ready for your moment of trial and temptation when you're not strong enough to do it on your own. You know, athletes will train for days, for months, sometimes for years, for one single game. We have to train also for hours, for months, for years, studying, doing our devotion, talking about others, about the Word of God, meditating on it, praying on it, preparing for your moment of trial. And it's not by your strength that you will conquer, but by your reliance on the Word of God. To know that you must depend on Him. To be ready to depend on Him. That is how you can take, or God will take, the worst moments of your life. And with His grace, and leaning on His Word will turn it into your finest hour. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.